they quarantined the whole city and almost the whole province, like the city of 11 million people 11. to help Americans to understand China better. It is scary in terms of how much control does the government have over its citizens. That yeah. if you're Russian, if you're Russian, that that is the most popular joke joke everywhere that you're a spy or a hacker or a hacker. Yeah. Hi, I'm Must Reader, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of society. Today, here with me is Alex Zhuravlov, a Schwarzman scholar of the prestigious Tsinghua University of Beijing in China, who has uh, quit uh, for some time McKinsey to pursue, to study uh, the Chinese culture among uh, world leaders in Beijing and who today will share insights on what's going on in China, what's going on uh, in Beijing, coronavirus, <laughs> stuff like that. Hi, Alex. Thank you for coming. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. So first of all, I think many people are wondering um, what exactly is happening right now in China, this uh, new virus. Uh, are you um, cautious about it? Uh, what do you think will happen next? Well, of course, I'm cautious and I'm not in China and I'm not going to be there for the next maybe two months or I don't know when they're going to open the borders and allow us to, to come to, to the university back to our studies. But I would also say that the whole panic that exists now in the media is greatly exaggerated, I would say. Of course, that's a great problem, everything that's going on there. But at the same time, the number of victims is not as great as we may think, just based on the amount of um, articles in the media and the amount of panic that we see everywhere. So that's that's what I think. Isn't the problem uh, not with the number of uh, victims, but with the speed that the virus is spreading? It's like uh, every day, uh, several uh, dozens of percent growth, something like that. Yeah, that is true. But if you if you take a look on uh, on the numbers, you would see that at the current stage, more people are getting recovered every day as compared with the number of people who get sick. So that is because China took extraordinary measures to fight with the virus. But still, it says that probably the like the peak peak stage, the the, the worst stage, has already uh, ended, and we oh, are really? moving towards the towards the milder stage. That's that's my assessment. I'm not a, like a. Uh, I know you're not a doctor, right? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but that's what I think because I, I'm 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 following these numbers every day because that is interesting and because I want to go back to China. And you are not allowed to. Uh, I'm not allowed to go. Um, that's a good question. I'm not. Sure. I think I can go back, but uh, universities are still closed, and we are not allowed to go back to to the campus. So if I want to stay somewhere in Beijing, I can go, and I have some friends who are there, and they are working there, and everything is more or less fine. Even though most of the clubs and bars and restaurants are closed, but yeah, they can live there. Okay. Uh, do you think that the authoritarian uh, nature of the Chinese regime helps uh, stop spreading the oh, virus? Oh, for sure. It does help. Because what they did, like they quarantined the whole city and almost the whole province, like the city of 11 million people. 11 million. That is Holy impossible shit. in any other country in the world. Because if we take an example of, say, uh, the United States or Canada, it would be impossible just because... Uh, 
because of the human rights violations and stuff like that, governments would not be able to 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 afford politically uh, measures like that. And if you take other countries like African countries, they would not be able to do that just because they do not have uh, political power of such an extent to 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 be able to close the whole city and to make sure that no one would leave it. So China is the only country in the world that can do it. So in case something similar happens in Russia, I would be really, really worried. Because even though Russia is authoritarian as well, but it's a different kind of authoritarianism. And I'm not sure Russia would be able to close, not even Moscow, but even, say, a city like Novosibirsk. Uh, probably it's because uh, the regime is less effective in uh, implementing uh, the desired measures. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And maybe because people are not as ready to accept measures like that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. even though we all understand that we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a more or less authoritarian state, we still on a we, we still some of us believe and like the, 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 prop, the, the official propaganda says that we are all in a democratic state and maybe people it says that, so in the constitution it says so in the constitution Russian federation well. is a yeah, democratic, democratic state. state there are so many interesting things in Russian constitution <laughs> yeah I rec- recommend that everybody should read it everybody interested in Russian politics at, at least so uh, and what would happen uh, in the US I think it, it would be unthinkable blocking a city yeah. it's Uh, violation of freedom of movements. Yeah, I think it, it would be impossible, and that is one of the problems. Like uh, in in certain extents, the um, the American healthcare system is much more efficient, but it also has so many problems, including some of the people who do not have any access to healthcare at all because they don't have insurance, and because it's so expensive to to go to the doctor, and that may be also one of the reasons why this virus could have been even more dangerous in other countries in the world. But at the same time, in certain extents, of course, American system is more efficient, but they would not be able to close uh, any city in the country, I guess. Okay, let's uh, talk about Schwarzman scholarship. Um, I'm sure not all of our viewers and listeners know what it is. Please uh, explain. Yeah, that is an interesting program created in China in Tsinghua University, which is one of the top universities in China, located in Beijing, created by a, by American billionaire, Steven Schwartzman, who created Blackstone, a private equity firm. And his idea, and I think a great idea, was that any future leader, even though this is a kind of a buzzword that I don't really like, but yeah, mm-hmm. maybe we should we should say it here. Any future leader in the 21st century should be able to should to understand at least something about China. Because China is going to be the world leader. Like depending we, we can we can argue about whether it's going to be number one or number two. But anyway, this country is going to be incredibly important in the world in the next century. And if you want to do something in, the, in this world, and if you want to change something in this world, you have to know about China. And there is no better way to understand the country where, than coming there for a year to study and to, to learn on the spot about its culture, about its economy, about its politics. 
And most of the people, most of my... So th this is kind of a fellowship program when if you get accepted, you get funding to, to come to Beijing for a year to study with other interesting people from all other the world uh, with 40% Americans, 20% Chinese and 40% uh, people from other countries in the world who are interested in China, who do not necessarily have any prior experience related to China, but who want to become someone in this world and who realize that in order to do that they have to understand China mm, well uh, you said that uh, you may debate whether China will be number one or number two uh, which place would you assign to it right now well I personally think that economically that is there is no debate about that I would say that China is going to be number one in the world and being, now it's already number one by GDP yeah but 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 not by nominal GDP but I think by uh, P GDP measured by in PPP yes it is number one uh, in the world and it's growing faster than the United States and it's growing faster than uh, the 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 world GDP in, in on average so yeah probably it's going to be number one in the world in other Uh, domains as well. It's a little bit trickier in terms of military power or political power or cultural power because it takes more time to to become the like to 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 form to develop the cultural hegemony like the United States did. But probably China has everything it it needs to 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 grow even even faster. But even in the cultural domain, I've read some texts about how Chinese, uh, how the Chinese are dominating uh, the box office, and now most of the blockbusters uh, have uh, higher sales uh, in uh, China than in the US, like Avengers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Spider-Man, movies with over 1 billion uh, uh, gross sales, they uh, gather more in China than in the US and because of that mm -hmm. often Hollywood studios insert for example Chinese characters in their yeah. movies or they do not uh, show the Chinese as evil because uh, in that case the movie may be banned in China or people will not uh, watch it as actively as uh, they would have watched it in China. Uh, Contrary to what happened when uh, they showed, for example, the Russians as the evil guys. Yeah, because Russian market is small. Yeah, so they are already dominating. And if we take uh, video games, mm -hmm. you know this uh, Blizzard scandal that happened? Uh, no, I'm not sure. Well, tell me more about I it. I think there was some... Uh, Correct me in the comment section if I'm wrong, but there was some uh, uh, gamers, some streamers who expressed uh, anti-Chinese uh, oh. intent, uh, something f supporting the Hong Kong revolutionary movement, something like that, and uh, Blizzard uh, banned those uh, guys on some formal grounds, saying that we do not allow political statements, uh, propaganda, something like that. But uh, it, it it was obviously for the reason that it's. Uh, Uh, major stake or significant stake is owned by the Chinese. Yeah, that's a great point because China is a huge market. It's going to be the, the biggest market in the world and every company in the world, including the American companies, are interested in earning money there. And because of that, they would change the products that they're making just to, to appeal to, to, to Chinese customers. And Hollywood is a great example with Chinese actors uh, playing in these movies. But at the same time, 
it doesn't mean that China is becoming a cultural hegemon because it's still the United States doing the movies. So what China has to do if it wants to become number one in the world, like the United States is at the moment, it has to develop its own movie industry, it has to develop its own soft power, which is kind of challenging. And it's more challenging that's just developing the economy because it's something more subtle. And like everyone, not everyone, but it's pretty much obvious what you have to do if you want to develop your own economy. There are some rules, there are some uh, tricks, and there are some like dozens and millions, millions of research that show what you have to do if you want to develop your own economy. But when it comes to soft power, it's so much more challenging. And also, um, probably Chinese culture is so different from what we are used to in the West. So to appeal to Western customers, it, it's really tricky for, for China. But I think it's trying. It, it would try to, to to play on this field as well. Which uh, cultural differences have amazed you the most? Um, you are living now in Beijing. Yeah, I'm for some time for Beijing. for half a year already. For half a year. So so probably several months is not enough to really dig very deep into the culture. But you still see a lot of differences. So like the, the most obvious difference that you would always mention, like referring to, to the old Chinese classics and to, to the way Chinese people behave even now is the importance of uh, like family values and collectivism. And I was reading some articles and research that was trying to, to understand what I see in the, in, in the, in, in the day-to-day -day conversations. And I think they all, they all say the same things, thing, that uh, Chinese culture is more less individualistic than uh, the the Western culture. So Russian culture is also an interesting thing here because it's hard to say whether we are closer to the West or to the East. And I think there is a huge divide in Russia between people who are more educated and who are more like uh, Western uh, like westernized yeah westernized uh, let's say uh and closer to and they they're like thinking system is closer to the to those in the west but it's harder to say about the like population in general whether it's it's more collectivist or individualistic don't you think that it's just propaganda to say that uh, the chinese or russians are uh against individualism they are uh, more inclined to do something for the common good because it's uh, obviously uh, better for the regime it's yeah, convenient i agree that sometimes it may be propaganda but in many cases it's true and also it may be both right so it, it may be propaganda that also like that also moves people in a certain direction because if propaganda is telling you every day that you are more less individualistic, that you would probably become less individualistic. That is reasonable, right? Because propaganda can be very efficient and it is efficient in China and it is quite efficient in Russia as well. Especially if it's not just propaganda, but if it's if it's thousand years of culture that is also moving in a certain direction. But also there are some research that show that it is not just propaganda, that is true. So for instance, um, like there is an interesting study when people from different culture, there is, let's say there is one page and there is a rectangle on this page. And within this rectangle, there, there is a, like a line. And you 
on the next page, you see, you, you, you look at this rectangle and you have to memorize how long is this line in, that, in terms of centimeters, for instance. And on the next page, when you close the previous page, uh, there is a rectangle of a different size. It can be larger or smaller and, and there is no line. And your task is to, is, to, is to draw the line, which is exactly the same size as the line on the previous page. And the problem is, it is easier for Western people to remember the absolute size of the line, but it's easier for Eastern people, for, for people from Japan or China, uh, to remember the relative size. So mm. the difference in cognition patterns is that Western people uh, analyze objects separately, more analytically, but people from the East analyze them more in terms of relationships between different objects. And they remember the picture as a whole. But when they need to, to remember the absolute size, it's more tricky for them, which is interesting, yeah. It would be interesting to, to post a link to the to this study. Yeah, well, because it maybe will I, be in the description. Yeah, maybe I did not explain it like perfectly, but mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. That, that, that is indeed interesting. Well, maybe uh, philosophy and uh, mm. religion also plays a role and should. Uh, of course, it's not, I don't think it's genetically, it's definitically not genetically. No, no, not like, genetically, yeah. It's just, it's just culture. Okay, what else? What else are the most uh, striking differences? Mm, so apart from collectivism, um, like in any other country, of course, uh, some smaller cultural differences, like how people eat, how do they behave, and maybe um, the, the 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 fact that Chinese people are less direct than uh, Americans or Russians or Europeans in general. They and sometimes it may be challenging because I personally is quite direct and I like people like exchanging opinions very openly, but it's not always. Um, something great in China if you, if you share your opinion very honestly. So you should be cautious? Uh, kind of, kind of. And speaking euphemisms? Uh, sometimes. Maybe, maybe mm, I would say that I personally, I like people who would say very directly to me what they think about me or about certain things, about politics, about, I don't know, art, whatever, uh, even if we are not very close friends. It is not the case in China and it is not the case in many other cultures. And that is something you have to get used to. Like, do not be too open about your opinions when you're just getting know someone, getting to know someone. Wait until you become really good friends, and then you can share some really, uh, like, um, because they can spy on you. <laughs> that is true. That's what they tell about Russians as well. <laughs> well, uh, it's not true. I can say. Yeah, that's a funny thing that yeah. if you're Russians, if you're Russian, that that is the most popular joke joke everywhere that you're a spy or a hacker or a hacker. Yeah, I, I don't look like a hacker, so <laughs> <laughs> I go yeah. as a spy. More of a James Bond type. Word. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> not a computer science guy, so I, I cannot be a hacker, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, many many people in uh, Russia and in other countries think that uh, uh, folks who go on uh, scholarship programs like yours also are like recruited by <laughs> foreign intelligence services. Uh, do you think it uh, is to some extent true? Um, I don't Have know. Have you been approached I've, I've by never, anyone? I've never been approached by anyone. Why, but... why, why do people create those programs? What's the purpose? Um, I think the, the purpose is quite clear. So for 
like this, many, many other programs, this program is quite unique because the typical program would be different. They would invite, so for instance, I don't know, Chivning program in the UK. So funded by, probably by the UK government, I'm not sure. But the idea is that to invite people from other country to the UK to study there and to become some like, uh, I don't like the word agent, but definitely these people would become more familiar with the UK culture and they would probably they would probably help to establish better relationships. That's between, soft power. That's soft power between their own countries and uh, and and Britain. So, for instance, I spent a year in Dubai in a program, working in a program funded by the Sheikh of Dubai, and it had two main goals. The first goal is just to recruit some of the interesting young individuals to work for Dubai companies or Dubai government. And the second goal, of course, because not everyone stayed, most of the people left to their own countries or to other countries for people to be like ambassadors of Dubai in their own countries. Did it work? I think it did. I think it did. So, Do you like the Sheikh more now? Uh, yeah, I know who he is now. <laughs> That's the first thing. And yeah, of course, I have some connections in Dubai. So in case I'm thinking about where to to do business or something like this, I'm more likely to, to think about Dubai because I have friends there. I understand how the system works, how it works politically, economically. And usually it's a very long-term investment. So maybe in, in 20 years, if I become someone or if someone else becomes someone, these people may help to establish relationships between Dubai and Russia. But your program is different. An yeah. American established it, not exactly. a Chinese. Exactly. That, that is an interesting point. So I think the idea, the initial idea of, of Steven Schwartzman was to help Americans to understand China better and to, to establish relationship between these people. So they become friends. And then in 20 or 30 or 40 years, they can meet somewhere um, I don't know, it's a diplomatic discussion or business meeting from two sides, from a Chinese and American side, and they can negotiate better because they study together and because they have some shared experience. Because the more shared experiences people have, the easier it is for them to, to do something together. And of course, the, the huge differences that exist between China and America prevent people from doing business if they don't have any other shared experiences. Uh, that's that's I think the main point, and we are as people from from the rest of the world, from other countries, uh, a nice addition to this. Like we 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 are helping to increase diversity, <laughs> which is also fun, and we also can become someone probably maybe you never know, and also help China and the United States to to do something with this world. I think that's that's the main idea. Well, makes sense. Um, what uh, do you think? people from the US, uh, Russia, other countries should know about China that they don't, that they think uh, maybe different? First of all, they have to understand, like people understand, they have to understand that this country is different. And this is sounds kind of obvious, but it's not. Because we all know that these countries, like this kind of Orientalism, they are different from us. But in many cases, I think people assume that in the world, in the 21st century, everyone is moving in the same direction. Globalization. So, like globalization. Everybody has iPhones. Yeah, everybody has iPhones. Listens so, to podcasts. Yeah, so we are getting more like each other and we are all moving to be, to, towards this global like liberalism, uh, liberalist utopia, which is not true. 
So China is so unique and so so different that just knowing that and understanding this on a, even on a very like shallow level, I'm not pretending to be an expert in China. I only studied it for like six months, but I already un- understand something just a little bit, and this little bit helps me to to understand that these people are different and they're different in so many so many domains. And like for me, I studied political science and I'm interested in politics. The interesting thing is that China is creating a, a a political model that is so different from what we are used to in the West. And this model is very efficient and very effective. And this model may be more attractive for other countries in the world than the liberal model, because it, it, it helps you to, to get more economic growth. It helps you to, to get people out of the po- poverty faster than the liberal recipes provided by the World Bank. And I think many people in the West, they just don't understand that. They think that we are living in the world of the 90s, that when the Soviet Union collapsed and when the United States did the end of history, when the United States is the only important political actor and there are no competitors, which is not true anymore because there is a real competitor and it's not only the competitor in terms of economic power, like many people think, but it's also a competitor in terms of like political models that this competitor is providing in terms of attractiveness as an ideal political, economic, social ideal. And this is much more dangerous than just having a big country that is growing. Uh, don't you agree with the fact that uh, uh, this model is uh, a bit threatening? It looks like it's an uh, empire of evil, maybe even. Um, I would disagree with the empire of evil. I, I don't like to call anyone like pure evil, but of course it's scary, and it's and it's scary from especially from the Western liberal perspective. It is scary. It is scary in terms of how much control does the government have over its citizens. It's true. It's scary in terms of uh, how much power citizens have in terms of like the the the, the degree of democratic autonomy. They don't really have much. And for us, it is scary. But it's also important to understand that people have different priorities. And for many of them, they are not suffering because of that. They are not thinking there is something wrong with this system. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I've never seen any data on that, but I'm pretty sure that the overwhelming majority of people in China are fully satisfied with the political system. But don't you think that uh, in the... Stalin, USSR, uh, most people probably uh, didn't realize until it was too late that oh, yeah. uh, that it uh, it really sucked living that, there. That is true. That is so true. They were satisfied. And China has maybe. its own problems that are huge, like all these camps for people who disagree with the regime, for Muslims, etc., etc. And we should talk about these problems, but yeah, we we shouldn't assume that China or Chinese people are dreaming about becoming more like the United Democratic States. Democratic and yeah, open. Because that is not necessarily true. It may be true, but we shouldn't assume that. We shouldn't take it for granted. Uh, what uh, can happen to you if you start expressing uh, uh, controversial statements about uh, China? You're not a citizen of China, but still you s- you're saying things about these uh, camps concentration camps for Uyghurs and uh, other oppressed minorities. Aren't you afraid that they can do something to you? I don't think it would happen. Like, 
Um, first of all, if it's if it becomes incredibly like popular and I don't know millions of people can see that, yeah, is it may be it may be kind of questionable. But also many people talk about this, and that is fine. Like many journalists that are working in China can still talk about these camps. And nothing happens to them. Nobody just like disappears out of some <laughs> out of thin air. Yes. No. As far as I know, people do not disappear. Like Western journalists do uh-huh. not disappear. That is a little bit different. Uh, yeah, I would say the Chinese state does give a little bit more power to Western journalists. They can, it can ban them from entering the country from time to time. So, for instance, sir, several journalists, if I remember correctly, from the Wall Street Journal, were banned, were denied visas. Uh, what for? Because Wall Street Journal published an article, the the real sick man of the world, referring to China and its inefficiency with fighting the virus and with many other, like inefficiency of its economic and political system, like sick man referring to the Ottoman Empire uh, before the the, yeah. the First World War. And yeah, you understand the reference. So they and. People who were banned, who were denied the visas, were not the people who who have written the article. But it was the signal. So if you're publishing articles like that, like criticizing China with no reason... You cross the line. You cross the line. So you shouldn't do that. And yeah, and the situation is similar with the case of Blizzard that you mentioned or with the case of NBA. So China is like realizing that it has more, more and more power and it can like slightly push... Western companies and even media to to change its, its the way they are presenting China. I don't think it would work with Western media at least now because I think they value autonomy and like freedom of expression more than even access to the Chinese market. And they don't really have any any issues with the access uh, with the access uh, to the Chinese market because they're not there. They don't, <laughs> they're not getting any money from from the market. So usually, for instance, several media outlets, websites are banned in China. I don't remember exactly the name, but maybe like something like New York Times, for instance, is banned. And I'm YouTube not... and Facebook? Yeah, YouTube well. and Facebook are banned. But the thing is that uh, journalists from these outlets are allowed to, to be in the country and they have like bureaus and offices in Beijing to write about China, but to write only to the Western audience. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't think they would care so much about people talking about like Uyghurs and, and these problems. Oh, how did this story with the NBA end? Uh, there was some executive of uh, uh, this league who said something bad about China and they threatened to to I think stop they, I'm not broadcast. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think they blocked uh, NBA broadcasting in China. So if I, I, I should double check it. Because I'm not. I, I think they after that they allowed it oh, they allowed. Okay, to continue, yeah. but uh, there was. I'm, I'm not an NBA fan, so. <laughs> um, but th- that's that's another example of soft power, economic power yeah. that leads to soft power. I think th- this is more of a economic power. So the day we will see Chinese football league being the most popular in the world. That would be Chinese soft power. By the way, they already buy uh, retired top yeah. players from Europe. That's true. That's what Russia did t- 10 years ago, but then we failed desperately <laughs> because of the crisis. Yeah. Uh, I know that YouTube and Facebook are banned uh, uh, and uh, there's problem with access to uh, true information on uh, some controversial topics such as Hong Kong, for example. Some hashtags are banned, some content uh, uh, gets removed 
from the Chinese social media that is of opposition, uh, uh, oppositional nature. Uh, do you feel as if it's it's like a um, an anti-utopian uh, world of George Orwell? <laughs> That Or is, is it not as dramatic as it's it, not it as dramatic? Sense. Because actually, if you want to access all these kinds of information, that is like Facebook or YouTube, you can always do that. People use VPN, yeah, right? People use VPN, and almost everyone who is interested in topics like this. But how 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 many people? Uh, like maybe one percent? That's a good question. Like I don't really know the numbers, but yeah, probably that's not like the majority of population is happy with using WeChat and Chinese media, and they are not interested in Western media at all, and they they probably don't really need VPN. With people who are more educated, who went to the States to study, or who are just, at least they can read in English, they would probably download VPN and they would maybe read Western newspapers on, or they would be registered or on Facebook, something like this. And that is not a big deal. So all the foreigners, they also have access to VPN and they would be able to, to download these articles and to read them. But the, the interesting thing, the, the article that we will probably provide a link to in the, yeah, in the description, uh, it's, it's relatively old now, but it was really famous. So what it showed is that in the Chinese media, you can post almost whatever you want. You can always criticize the party, especially the lower level officials. It's fine. You can do that. But the moment you start to try to organize any kind of the collective action... So the moment you are even, I don't know, organizing a group of your friends to discuss political problems and to, to say, let's do a group that would fight for against corruption or that would fight against anything else. At this moment, you would be blocked, your accounts would be blocked, and maybe something would, like, you would be charged with something. I, I'm not sure about that. But the thing is, it is incredibly efficient, and that is a, it, that is a sign of how smart... Uh, Chinese state is efficient for for those uh, oh, yes. state officials. Oh, yes. Maybe not yeah. for maybe the not for development the of the country. Not for the maybe not for the development of the country. Totally agree with you. But it shows like you can because they are not afraid of people criticizing. Like criticism is fine. In in many cases, criticism is also part of this communist kind of communist, which because China is not communist. Yeah. This ideology. So criticism, self-criticism, and especially like criticizing lower level authorities to 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 give, for instance, Xi Jinping the ability to to fire them and to show that yes, we are doing the best for our country. But you are not allowed to form any groups because only the state and only the, the Communist Party has this right To, to to do any group, any collective actions. Yeah, that would establish uh, competition. Uh, that's, yeah. And that's uh, my most uh, pressing question regarding China. How can they develop so fast and be so effective, so efficient, if they don't have competition? I have always been taught, and I think uh, most of our Western audience agrees with that, that uh, capitalism and freedom of expression, uh, of press, are uh, of utmost importance for the development of society. Because if you have this plurality of opinions, if you have this free discussion of ideas, you have uh, a marketplace of ideas that help society move forward, that help uh, the economy move forward. Uh, but uh, in China, the GDP growth uh, is staggering. 
How can it happen? I know that it's the low base effect and stuff like that, but still, it can't be just because of that. That's a good question. But I think it is important to understand that liberal democracy is not the only way we can we can organize competition in our country. So I would talk about two things. First of all, economically, competition still exists in China. Private companies exist. They still compete on a pretty much free market. But not political competition. Not political. Not but, ideological. Yeah, I, I would talk about that. So it's more or less clear, clear with, with, with the economic part. We understand that China is not communist. Well, it's not fully uh, open because True. foreign companies cannot compete. Some uh, They still can. Them, yeah, like but Facebook, I, yeah, that's a little YouTube. bit more challenging. Yeah. yeah, but they still, the competition exists. And that is more or less clear. But politically, I think it's even more interesting. So politically, uh, yes, there is no ideological competition. There is no elections but china is a very meritocratic system and it means that you have this unified system of bureaucracy but in order to to become a public official you have to compete with other people but it's not a competition in terms of votes it's not a competition for for the popularity among the the voters it is the competition of your ability of your first of all like intellectual abilities because if you, if you want to become a public official, you have to pass tests, you have to get education, and et cetera, et cetera. And these, are, these tests are really challenging. And it is important that it's not just based on your connections or who your parents are, for instance. It is based on your performance. And if you get higher and higher on this letter, for instance, again, an interesting study that showed that if you're a governor, governor in one of the Chinese provinces, if you want to go higher and become a member of the Politburo, one of the most important things for you is to make your province uh, grow faster in terms of GDP. The faster your province is growing, the, uh, the higher your chances to become, uh, to be promoted. There are some other things as well. So it's also, it also helps if you have connections. Or if you are a son of somebody. Uh, true, of course. It also helps if you have like people in the Politburo who were your bosses in the past or someone who graduated from the same university. Like any political system works like that. But the basis of the system is the idea of meritocracy and the performance-based promotion. So the better you are as a public servant, the more likely you are to get promoted. And this system works, or at least it had been working for the last many years. Well, that's interesting because... Uh in some respect, I think uh, it's more meritocratic than uh, the Western system, where uh, sometimes a populist wins uh, the vote. Well, uh, look look at the U.S. True, uh, and th- that is how Chinese propaganda works. I would recommend you to to read something or to watch. I could something. I could work for Chinese yeah. propaganda. <laughs> I already feel it. Well, um, uh, lastly, unfortunately, we're running out of time. But lastly, um, what's your opinion on uh, the future of China? What will become of it? Will it become more liberal? Uh, will it become a digital uh, anti-utopia and digital dictatorship? What uh, do you see in the future? It's hard to make any any predictions for 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 such a complicated like state and for such a complicated issue. But I don't really see China moving towards a more liberal uh, state. So I think it may happen if it fails economically. So if China continues to grow, 
And if China solves many of its economic problems, such as demographic problems, and for, which is, I think, one of the most important issues that China is facing now, if China manages to solve these problems, it would be able to to stay politically in the same, like, with no liberal changes, with no, like, radical revolutionary changes. Also because this system is working, like, it is, it is efficient, and people are satisfied. I don't think they are, like, crying <laughs> to, to, to get a more liberal democratic system. So there, there, I don't see any, any reasons why China would change, if not for, like, if, if it doesn't fail economically, which may happen, which is also a, a possibility. Because we, we see that uh, Chinese economic growth is slow, um, uh, slowing, it's getting slower and slower, and now it's about 6%, it would be even lo lower in, in this year because of the virus. And if it goes like below, I don't know, 3%, Chinese population would start to ask questions. Well, I hope that there will be some changes because uh, it's, it's really... Uh, mm, apprehensive i think what's happening now and uh, the growing power of this country i i hope that uh, it will not become a monster uh, <laughs> because there are already some signs but uh, i think it's important to, that uh, people from different countries come and see for themselves so i recommend all of you to go visit china um, and maybe apply for some programs uh, study for some time there uh, it's it uh, may become number one country in the world, and we will all have to deal with it. Uh, I hope for the best uh, for the Chinese people. Uh, thank you, Alex. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank uh, you, Greg. My name is Greg Mustreader. This is my YouTube show and podcast. Subscribe. Every week we have a new video and a new podcast on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of human society. Thank you and goodbye.